that I could see answered. Indeed, I understood from their utterance and prayer and from other remarks at their meetings that those who offered them did not regard them as answered. When I read my Bible, I learned that when Christ said, it was Christ said in regard to prayer and answers to prayer, He said, Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks, received. Everyone that seeks, finds. And everyone knock, it shall be opened. I also read what Christ affirmed, that God is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to them who ask than earthly parents are to give good gifts to their children. I heard them pray continually for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and not often confess that they did not receive what they asked for. They exhorted one another to wake up and be engaged and to pray earnestly for revival of religion, asserting that if they did their duty, prayed for the outpouring of the Spirit, and were in earnest that the Spirit of God would be poured out and they would have a great revival of religion and that the impenitent would be converted. But in their prayer and conference meetings, they would continually confess substantially that they were making no progress in securing the revival of religion. That's kind of the term he used. This inconsistency... That they fact that they prayed so much and were not answered, listen to this, was a sad stumbling block to me. I knew not what to make of it. It was a question in my mind whether I was to understand that these persons were truly not Christians or uh, were not Christians and therefore did not prevail with God, or did I misunderstand the promises and the teachings of the Bible on that subject, or was I to conclude that the Bible was not true? It's amazing the witness that we have to people by whether our prayers are answered. This was something inexplicable to me, and it seemed at one time that it would almost drive me into skepticism. It seemed to me that the teachings of the Bible were not at all in accord with the facts which were before my eyes. On one occasion when I was in in one of the prayer meetings, I was asked if I did not desire that they should pray for me, and I told them no, because I don't see that God answers your prayers. And I said, I suppose I need to be prayed for, for I'm conscious that I'm a sinner. But I don't see that it will do any good for you to pray for me, for you're continually asking, but you do not receive. Have you been praying for a revival for religion ever since I've been in Adam's, and yet you've not? You've been praying for the Holy Spirit to descend upon yourselves, and yet complaining of your leanness. I recollect having used this expression at that time. You've prayed enough since I've attended these meetings to have prayed the devil out of Adam's, if there's any virtue in your prayers. But here you're praying on and complaining still. I was quite in earnest in what I said and not a little irritable. I think in consequence of my being brought so continually face to face with religious truth, which was a new state of my being to me, but on, on further reading of my Bible, it struck me Listen carefully. It struck me that the reason why their prayers were not answered was because they did not comply with the revealed conditions upon which God had promised to answer prayer. They did not pray in faith and in the sense of expecting God to give them the things that they asked for. I appreciate Brother Finney's honesty because I think that so many Christians are in that same place but won't admit it to themselves because as Christians we have to believe in prayer. As Christians, we believe in prayer, but the evidence that this is where so many Christians are is the attendance at meetings like this. It's not because we don't have a lack of need. It's certainly not because there's a lack of need in the world or in our families or in this nation or in our states in which we live. It's certainly not there's a lack of need. And it's certainly not that God lacks the ability to answer those needs. And as we see from the Word, it's not that He lacks the desire to meet those needs. So what's missing? We're the ones that are missing. And I know those of you that are here tonight and watching online, I'm preaching to the choir. But I want to challenge us not to just say prayers, not just to fulfill some religious obligation, but expect we are communicating at the invitation of the Almighty God who is far more concerned with answering our prayers than we are with having them answered. So what's missing? It's what Brother Finney says at the end. He said, I became convinced that these Christians were not meeting the conditions that God had set out in His words. Well, I'm going to look at some of these conditions tonight. They all basically say the same thing, and we're not going to spend long on this because we're going to do what we came here to do. Jesus gives us the answer 
to, to answer, to, to, to um, gives us the key to answer prayer. And it's in Matthew chapter 7. It's several other places we're going to look at. Very famous verses. Jesus said these. Jesus said these. Jesus said these. Jesus said these words. Jesus, who had all of his prayers answered, said these words. And they're either true or they're not true. See, see what Charles Finney was willing to do, and this is part of a lawyer's training, is they'll take a statement and they'll push it to its logical conclusion. So what we'll do is we'll read something like this and we'll accept, well, yeah, I know it's what the Bible says, but somewhere down in our mind we compromise on it and we don't expect it to be answered. But see, when you expect it to be answered and you don't get an answer, you want to know why. And that's Charles Finney's attitude. That's why I read that. He was not content to sit in those prayer meetings and have them... See, that's religion. They were saying prayers, but they weren't expecting to get answers. And as a result, they weren't getting answers. And they became content. Listen carefully. Listen carefully, those of you online. They became content with not having their prayers answered. And I assure you, God's not content when our prayers aren't answered. So if our prayers aren't getting answered, we need to find out why, because God's plan and God's will is always for our prayers to get answered. And we're going to look at some of those scriptures. Just take a couple of moments. But Matthew 7, verse 7, Matt, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open unto you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man among you is there if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? He asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you being evil, which means you're not as good as God, basically, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, well, we'll end there. Now, you may ask this question, which is a, a, a legitimate question to ask. Well, but pastor or Jesus, I've asked for things and I didn't get them. Well, this is how a lawyer would look at that. Either these words are true and your conclusion's wrong, or these words are not true and your conclusion's right. One of the two of you is wrong. And here's what we very subtly do. We begin to accept, well, I don't know that I can trust these words. I'm not sure that they really are true. And that's the question he asked in that testimony. But here's part of the key. And this is why studying your Bible helps. The word ask there does not mean some casual request. God, please save my children. God, please provide a job for me. It means something far deeper than that. It refers to almost a demand that comes out of an urgent need out of your heart. If you've ever been in a situation where you were in a desperate situation and you cried out to somebody for help, that's what that word means. And as I recall in my life, if I think back over every time I've ever gotten to that place, and sometimes it's something that in the middle of an emergency blurts out of me. We had a situation happen earlier this year where there was a, a, an emergency in our family which was not here, so it was not something I could go... It was something beyond my control. There's not something I could not do about it, but endangered a member of our family. And I remember going in our kitchen and saying, God, there's nothing I can do. I can't go out there. I can't change the situation. I can't call somebody. This is beyond my ability to do anything. But you're my God and you love me and you've made promises to me. And I cried out of the depths of my heart for God to answer my request. And that night, the whole situation turned around. Many times, we ask out of our mind. We ask out of some obligation. And we don't really ask out of an urgency to get a need answered. Mostly, even in my life, because I think I'm not sure I'm going to get it and I don't want to be disappointed. So we kind of water down 
We hedge our bets just in case it doesn't get answered. What other alternative do I have? In James chapter 4, James says a very similar thing. He says, you have not because you ask not. A while ago, I was in here praying over the, some things in the church, and I was saying, God, you know, how come we don't have this, and how come we don't have this? And the Lord brought me back to the Scripture. He says, you have not because you haven't asked me. See, there's something about asking God. He wants us to ask us. It does several things. First of all, and we've talked about this before, and I don't have time to go into this to explain it tonight, but God has set this up so He needs us to ask Him and authorize Him to do what He already wants to do, if it's something in line with His Word. So if you're praying for a relative for their, for their, to get saved, or a child to turn around, or for, for this, this pandemic to be solved and go away, it's obvious they're according to God's will. And He wants to solve these things, but He needs believers to come to Him and ask Him and authorize Him to intervene. So God, and this is what's changing my prayer life, I'm beginning to see that God needs me as His partner to pray for things that He wants to solve and He wants to turn around. And I find as I begin to do that, as I begin to pray for certain situations and certain people, that I begin to get God's heart towards them. And now my heart is involved in that issue and seeing that situation turned around. Jesus then gives another condition here. So you've got to ask. But it's not just a mental asking. It's not just throwing out prayers. It's not just... Because I think sometimes what we do is we are really, if we're honest with ourselves, we take a bunch of needs, we put them together as prayers, and we kind of throw them up in the air and hope something sticks. I remember as a boy growing up, one of my younger brothers, a stepbrother, was uh, at lunch served by my mother an egg salad sandwich. And I love egg salad, but he, he did not. And so when my mother turned her back, he decided to get rid of it. <laughs> I can still see it. He just threw it up in the air and it stuck to the ceiling for a while <laughs> until she came back in the room. And it's kind of, I think we think our prayers are like this. I don't know what's going to happen, but let's throw it up and maybe something's going to stick and I'm going to get an answer. But listen to what Jesus says in Mark, very famous verses, Mark 11, 20 actually through 24. Have faith in God. He passed by, uh, verse, uh, saw the fig tree, verse 21, I'm sorry. Peter remembers said, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. Literally in the Greek it says, have faith of God. So have faith in God. And this, this is Jesus speaking to us. For assuredly I say to you. Now, Jesus always told the truth. So for Jesus to say, assuredly or verily, verily, He's emphasizing, I want you to believe this, because this is beyond something you may normally believe. Whoever, see right away that takes it out of the realm of He's just talking to those twelve disciples. Because He didn't say, you twelve disciples, He said, whoever. That means it's up to us whether that's going to apply to us or not. But I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, and that represents our problem, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Let me stop there a second. So what he's telling us here is, here's the condition. You have to speak over that situation. But then what you've got to do is you cannot allow doubt into your heart. I've talked over and over again how Proverbs says in Proverbs 4, verse 23, uh, 24, uh, uh, guard your heart without dil- all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. Fear flows out of your heart. Faith flows out of your heart. Anger, jealousy flows out of your heart. And love flows out of your heart. All the issues, the forces of life, flow out of your heart. So don't allow doubt about what you've said in your heart. And you can do that as an act of your will. There's a, there's a, there's a, a prayer project I've had just for my own life that I'm watching something happen that never happened before. 
And as I've gone over this scripture every day and confessed this scripture every day and meditated on this scripture every day, I've seen things in here I never saw before because I've always thought I had to wait until I had no doubt in my heart. I've always thought I had to wait until I believe that those things I said will be done. And then I realized as I was meditating, no, it's an act of my will. I can choose not to allow doubt in my heart, and I can choose to believe that what I said will come to pass. And as I began to do that, the doubt evaporated, and faith began to rise in my heart. Verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you pray and believe, you receive them, you will have them. So we must, the condition here is when we pray, when we've come to God, when we've made our request known unto Him, at that point we have to believe that He's heard us and that we have the answer, the petition that we've said. If we go to James chapter 1, we'll see this condition again. This is what Brother Finney was talking about. He said, I discovered that as I read my Bible, they weren't fulfilling the conditions that are set forth. If you lack wisdom, we're going to see in a minute that that applies not just to wisdom. Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally. God is generous and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Verse 6 is the condition, though. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. So the condition on which we can receive what God's... See, it's not that God doesn't want to give the answer. It's that we can't receive the answer if we're doubting. Because that word means double-minded. It means one time we need one thing and another time we need something else. He goes on, we're not going to look at it. He says, because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's like, oh yes, I believe, I feel, I feel I got the answer today, and then I wake up tomorrow and I don't feel that way. Or all the evidence, sense evidence, looks the opposite. And now I begin to doubt, and we go back and forth between believing and doubting, between being confident and questioning. And that's being double-minded, and a double-minded man is unstable and cannot receive the things that God wants to do for us. Not that God doesn't want to do it, cannot receive it. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5 and we'll see this in a different light. 1 John chapter 5. This is, look at here again, this is the confidence that we have in Him, referring to God. This is the confidence we have in Him, not in ourselves, in Him. That if we ask anything in accordance with His will, He hears us. Verse 15. And we know that if He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we've asked of Him. So it's confidence that God hears us when we're talking to Him. Why is it we lack this confidence? Why is it we struggle with confidence when, when the Bible's full of promises that God's listening to us? I just showed you promises that are either true or they're not true. Either God hears us when we ask or He doesn't. And yet we don't often feel like He's hearing. We have the confidence we struggle. I'm just telling, sharing my testimony. What's begun to change my prayer life as I have a renew of a different level of confidence that God is hearing me whenever I'm talking to Him. Now, how did I get that confidence? How do I get that confidence? Well, let's look first of all at the confidence that Jesus had. Let's go to John chapter 11. By the way, if you look at Jesus' prayer life, it's very different than, than we often think it is Because Jesus often didn't talk to God about things. He often spoke to the things on God's behalf. And here we're looking at Jesus. He's at the tomb of Lazarus. Now understand the setting here. This is is an emotional thing for him. This is a dear friend of his who's died. And Jesus got, got a call 
uh, he got a text message to bring it into our parlance while he was in another city doing a meeting. And his disciples said, we need to get over there because your friend Lazarus is dying and if you don't get there, he may well die. And Jesus stayed there four more days, finished up what he was doing. So by the time he got to Bethany, Lazarus was dead. So he's facing that. Now Lazarus' sisters come out to him one at a time and begin to accuse him. If you had just been here, and they weren't being disrespectful, they were being honest, they're hurting. They've just lost their brother. And their hope was, if we can get Jesus here, we know Jesus can keep our brother from dying. And Jesus didn't come when they expected Him to come. Have you ever had Him not come when you expected Him to come? It seemed like it was too late. And Jesus shows up, and it looks like it's too late. And so this is a very emotional scene for Him. Not only is He feeling it because His friends died, but He's feeling it because of these women that love Him and He loves. They're hurting, and they're blaming Him for being responsible for losing their brother. Even knowing what He's going to do in a few minutes, it says Jesus wept, He was moved, He was grieved in His heart when He saw them hurting. So I want you to see the emotion of this situation, the charged emotion of this situation, and the pressure's all on Him. And so He comes out to the tomb, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 38. We're going to go down through 44. And Jesus, again groaning in Himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time it's a stench. He's been dead four days. So here's another problem. The risk is if he takes this stone away, the odor of his decaying flesh is going to hit them in the face. Verse 40. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes. Now we're going to hear his prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. But he hasn't said anything yet. He hasn't gotten on his knees. He hasn't prayed anything yet. But look at the confidence that Jesus has. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Remember we just read Mark eleven twenty three and 24 where Jesus said, if you believe that you've received before you have it. So here Jesus is living out the condition that he's taught his disciples and taught us. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Look at verse 42. I know that you always hear me. Look at that confidence that he had. Jesus' confidence was, Father, I know whenever I talk to you, whatever the circumstances are, I know that you not only are listening, that you hear what I'm asking you to do. I know that. You always do that. That's the confidence that Jesus had in his, in his relationship with his Father. But because of the people standing by, I said that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43. Now when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Father, please raise Lazarus from the dead. Now that's not what it says. He spoke to Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, Loose him and let him go. We've got to move on. All right. Okay, Pastor. Jesus had that kind of confidence, but I don't. Why not? Well, of course Jesus had that confidence because He was God's Son. Of course Jesus had that confidence because He never made a mistake. He was always perfectly doing His Father's will. He was always perfectly obedient. And I'm not always been quite that way. In fact, today maybe you got upset at somebody. Today maybe you didn't read your Bible the way you thought you should or didn't spend as much time in prayer. Today maybe you were jealous about somebody. Today, maybe you just outright sinned. So why would Jesus, why would God hear me? Of course He won't hear me the same way He 
Here's Jesus. Now, if you've been in church long enough and you've been around here long enough, you know not to say those things because you know what the Bible says, we're the righteousness of God in Christ. We know those things, but do we really believe them the way Jesus believed them? We'll go to one last, well, two last scriptures. John 15, verse 7. Jesus is preparing His disciples that He's going to leave and now they're going to be in His place. And they're going to have to do the same things that Jesus did. They're going to have to pray and have their prayers answered the same way His prayers were answered. So Jesus says this to them in verse 7, John 15, verse 7. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. He goes on to say, By this My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and shall you be to My disciples. If you abide in me, if you are living in a union with me, the relationship that I've said earlier, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you live in me and my words are living in you, you should have the same confidence when you pray that I pray, that I have when I pray. Let's go over to John 17. There's much more we could share in here, but we don't, don't have time tonight. We need to get about what we've come here to do. John 17, of course, is Jesus' prayer to His Father right before He goes to the cross. And He starts by ta- praying for Himself. He said, Return to Me the glory which I had with you before, before I came to the earth. Then He prays for the disciples to help them go through this time and to do what He put them here to do. But in verse 20, He changes the focus of His prayer to us. Because look what He says, I don't pray for these alone, that's the disciples, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word, through Matthew, through Mark through John, through Luke, through all these disciples. Now, Luke wasn't one of these disciples and knew was Mark. But the people that Jesus first commissioned, you and I are believers through their words. So now He's praying to the Father for us. That they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and that the glory that the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Listen to this. I in them, that's you and me, and you, Father, in me, that they may be be perfect in one, that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. What's he saying here? Father, make them one with me. Bring them into a union with me where they are one with me and I am one with them just as I'm one with you. Now what's all that mean? In God's mind, when you came to Christ, you were joined to Him. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, you were joined. You were one spirit with Him. That means when God sees you, He sees Christ. Because you're in Him. And He's in you. You can't separate Him from you. And He can't separate you from Him. Now, we can do it in our mind in the way we pray because we still see ourselves as individuals separate from Him, calling on His name, going to God the Father. But when you come to the Father's presence, the way we're going to come in just a minute or so, we're not coming as individuals referring to Jesus' name. We are coming joined to Christ. So when you talk to the Father, it's Jesus talking to the Father just as much as it were coming out of His mouth. And when I begin to see that and meditate that on my prayer, prayer time, it changed the confidence that I have before God. So I start by saying, Father, I know you're hearing me because I have every confidence you hear Jesus when he comes to you. And so I know you're hearing me right now. And this is the confidence that we have in him. In him. That if we ask anything in accordance with his will, he hears us. I've gone on too long. All right, it's time for us to pray. We're going to pray to come together and we're going to pray this Unite 714 prayer. And then I'm just going to begin to pray for some things that are on my heart, and then we're going to take some time for us to pray individually. Those of you that are, that are watching by way of, of the Internet, uh, please join us now. We're going to pray this prayer together. If you don't have this in front of you, and I'm sure most of you don't, I'm just going to ask you to agree with me. Just set your heart, listen, and set your heart in agreement. Heavenly Father, I come to you today praying in the agreement with millions of believers representing tri- tribes, tongues, and nations around the world. 
We're standing as one before your throne for you to intervene for you. Our cities, our nations are being terribly broken and breached by COVID-19 and the ravages of its wrought. Only you can heal our lands. Lord, we humble ourselves before you today, asking with one voice, please heal our lands and grant us a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, the supply chains in many lands are broken. Untold millions have lost their livelihoods and cannot afford the basic necessities of life. Quarantined, starving, and hopeless, they're in desperate need of your touch. They're bombarded daily by a never-ending stream of grim news. Their prospects are stark. Fear is their constant companion. God, today, please intervene for your prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, give the leaders of our world the wisdom they need to repair their nation's economies. We also ask for your divine provision and aid for those who are hungry, unemployed, and hopeless. Almighty God, the social fabric of many of our world's cities and nations have been freshly torn by centuries-old divisions. These gaping breaches are ethnic, religious, demographic, and national. We stand before your throne today asking you to heal these breaches by your presence and power. Begin with our own hearts. Deliver us from the insidious tentacles of binding prejudice and crippling bias. We know what is impossible in society is possible through your church because only you have the power to change the human heart. In name above all names, the name of Jesus, we speak to the divisions fracturing our world. Be healed. Lord, we're grateful for your mitigation of COVID-19 in many nations and cities around the world, wherever it's through your direct intervention or wisdom you've given to scientists and medical professions. The effects of this pandemic would have been worse without your help. Yet many cities and nations are starting to writhe in its clutches, and these places, cities are spiking, and certain uncertainty and insecurity are stalking the souls of people around the world. We thank you that the name of your Son, Jesus, is the name that's above every name and every other name and the designation on our planet. In the name of Jesus, we speak to COVID-19, be mitigated and eradicated. Father, we continue to come to you right now. And we've looked at your word tonight that tells us that we, can, we come to you in Christ. We come to you joined to him. It is as if he is coming to you and he is coming to you in us and with us right now. So regardless of where we've been today, regardless of what's going on in our life today, regardless of what we may think of each other or ourselves, our confidence tonight is that you hear us because we're one with Christ. It's because of what you think of Him, not what you think of us. And so we come, Father, with confidence that you're hearing us tonight. You're hearing me as I speak needs out, but you're hearing every individual heart tonight as they join together with me in whatever application it may have for their lives and for those that they care about. We ask the Holy Spirit to guide us because we often don't know what the what to pray for. But your Spirit will guide us. He will lead us with groanings and with direction that we cannot express with human words. So we're looking for Him to lead us because we want to pray what you want prayed tonight. We come to see your kingdom come, Father. Not just to this land, but in the lives of our families, Father. In marriages that are struggling. In, in the lives of our children or grandchildren in the lives of families that are being devastated by this pandemic and what we're going through and the economic issues. But even more than that, there were many lives being injured and devastated before this ever happened. It's just brought out where the weaknesses are. So, Father, we come to you tonight. We come to you in Christ. And we're coming to you with confidence, Lord. We, we, that you desire us more than that, you need us to join with you and ask you and authorize you to move in these situations and do what you already want to do. So guide us tonight, not just me as I lead the first part of this, but each one of us as we begin to pray and, and to cry out to you and to call out to you from our heart. Father, this is not just another meeting. This is not just a prayer meeting. This is your people coming together with you to do business with you to see lives change, to see situations change, to see revival happen as we read from Brother Finney's book. We want to see these things happen. We want to see what you want done, Father. We're living in a time 
that's so unlike any other time, certainly in our life and in recent history. We're living in a, in a time, Father, where there's desperate need for your spirit to shine forth and your church to rise up and be bold and to be strong and to be unified and dedicated and consecrated to you, to your Son, and to your, your kingdom's will to be done. But Father, as we look at ourselves and look around ourselves and we see our own lives, we look so weak, we look so fragmented. As I was praying earlier today, Father, we, we, we look like the valley of dried bones that you showed me a number of years ago. And, and, and Ezekiel asked the question, can these bones, can these bones live? You asked the question. And his answer was, only you know. And you spoke to him and told him to prophesy, to speak over the bones. Because as he spoke the word of God, the prophetic word of God, that word moved to cause those bones to begin to rattle and to begin to come together and to begin to get in order and to begin to grow tissue and sinew and begin to grow muscle and skin around those bones and it began to stand up. And then you breathed upon it and it became a mighty army. And Father, many times right now, your church looks like a valley of dry bones. Our lives look like a valley of dry bones. And, and, and most of the time, we don't even realize it because we're so used to nothing happening. We're so used to feeling ineffective. We're so used to being put down. We're so used to questioning and doubting that we've, in many cases, lost any hope of expectation of seeing any real change. Father, forgive our unbelief. Forgive our doubting. And help us as we begin to honestly face where we are by the anointing of your Spirit, not just now, but as we, as we spend time in the Word, as your Spirit begins to move upon us and in our services, that you begin to open our eyes to see the truth of where we really are, where our hearts are, those areas where our hearts have become hardened, those areas where we've accepted and, and become, become in, uh, embalmed in unbelief in many ways, Father, calloused by unbelief, calloused by the situations of the world that the churches learn to tolerate, Lord, and, 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 and I among them in many ways. Lord, your church has not been bold to stand up and to speak for what's right in your eyes and what's truth in your eyes. And we look for revival. We look for, for the Spirit of God to move. We look to see other people's lives change. But your word says it must begin with us. We must begin to be willing to face where we really are. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. So we ask of the Holy Spirit. We give Him permission. We call upon Him to begin to move in our hearts and move on our hearts and begin to shine His light on those areas where we're holding on to things in our life and holding on to attitudes and holding on to what we want and holding on to our own will. Have Him shine His light on those areas of our heart where we've hardened them to caring about other people, where we've hardened them to caring about what you care about. Help Him to shine His light upon those areas of our heart where we've just become comfortable. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to be challenged. We don't want to be threatened. We don't want to change things. But Father, deep down inside, those that are here tonight, those that are watching, those that may be listening, those that may listen down the road, somewhere down in their heart, they do want to do what's right in your sight. Or they would not have been here long ago. Somewhere down inside, there is that desire, but it may be we lack the confidence that can never happen. Father, pour your Spirit out into our hearts to give us that hope that it's not just us, that it's your work in us, both to will and to do your good pleasure. Help us to become real with you, Father. Real with ourselves, honest with ourselves, the way that first man and woman were you before Satan came into the garden, where they were, they were exposed, they held, hid nothing from you, they had nothing to hide. And we may have things to hide, Father. But just as you covered them 
with animals having shed their blood, you've covered us with the blood of your Son. You've translated us from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. You've washed us clean in His blood and you've joined us together with Him to sit with Him together on His throne next to you in heavenly places. That's where you've placed us. So help us to realize that we can open the inner recesses of our heart to ourselves and to you and not be condemned and not be judged but instead be healed be cleansed inside and made whole Father send your spirit to do the work in our hearts that only he can do so often we're looking for things to be done in others and things to be done in our community things to be done straightened out in the church and things to be straightened out in our nation when it has to begin with things being straightened in our own heart. We want to skip those things, Father, because they're uncomfortable to us. But thank you Thank you that you love us so much that you won't skip those things that are so vital. So we trust ourselves to you tonight. We trust our hearts to you tonight. We trust our cares to you tonight. We trust our past to you tonight. We trust our future to you tonight because you love us more than we'll ever begin to imagine. You have nothing but our best interest and heart far more than we can ever do for ourselves or one another. You know everything about us, things we don't know about ourselves. And yet you love us. You've accepted us. You've joined us together with your Son and made us sons and daughters of the living God. Help us to receive that grace and that love. Do a work in our heart that only you can do. Father, if we try to do it in our mind by looking at ourselves, we'll become legalistic or critical or we'll excuse ourselves. Only your Spirit can do this. And we give Him permission tonight. We ask Him to come in we open ourselves to Him. Father, do that with me as you've already begun to do it with me. Do it with all of us that are here tonight and that are watching tonight because we're doing here. We're here and we're watching tonight because somewhere down inside we want to do Your will. But we can't do that in our strength. But Your Word says that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is You. You're at work in us both to will and to do your good pleasure. So we ask you tonight to begin that work and to complete it until the day of Christ. We pray for one another tonight, Father. We pray for one another tonight in this body of Christ, of, of, at Faith Christian Center, the people that you have called here tonight. We pray for one another, Father, that you may help us to stay strong strong in our faith in you, strong in our faith in your word, strong in our faith in what you've done in your church and what you want to do in your church. Strong, Father, that we have a hope, the hope that is set before us and strengthen us, Father, that we'll be, go with perseverance through these difficult and challenging times. Father, help us together to encourage one another to realize, Lord, that, there, that you did not cause us, but there's a purpose for what we're going through that is the trying of our faith, the testing of our faith, which is more precious than gold. And Lord, where our faith may be found wanting, where our faith may be found lacking, encourage us to get up. Help us to encourage one another. Father, put people in our hearts to call, to reach out to, to pray for, that you may work in their lives to encourage them. That though we may be not be able to touch one another's hands, we can do that, Father, by encouragement with phone calls and, and with text messages and with emails and with, most of all, with prayer. Father, Satan is attempted to use 
this pandemic and the efforts of our leaders to keep us safe. Satan has endeavored to use this to separate us. But I believe in you, Father, that you will take what Satan has used to divide us and you will use it to strengthen us. For, Father, although we've gotten so used to come together, so used to being able to come to church that we become casual about it. It's something we can do if we want to, and if we've got something else to do, we'll do that, because we can always go if we feel like it. But it's not that way right now. What was casual to us for a while has been taken away from us, or at least it's been changed. Father, our, pray- our prayer tonight is that you would use what Satan has meant for evil, that you would use it for good and for strength. For your word has said that all things work together for good, not for everybody, but for those who love you and are called for your purpose. And that's us tonight, Father. Only you know how to do that. Only you can do that, but you are well able, and I believe with all my heart you want to do that. Beyond that, Father, you have placed us here as believers for such a time as this. Beyond that, Father, you have put us here because in this terrible pandemic, in all the devastation that it's bringing, you have put your church here to rise up and be strong and bold, to be a light in the darkness, to be a hope in the hopelessness, and to open the eyes of people that have trusted in everything else but you, to recognize that there's only one true God, and that it's you. There's only one who saves, and it's you, and you love them more than anything that this world can ever offer or has offered them. And you have to use us to do that. So, Father, help your church to be bold. Open our eyes to see the boldness is not in ourselves, but it's in your Spirit who's in us and who is among us. And, Father, we pray for the leaders of the church, for the pastors, especially in this area, that you will continue to strengthen them and give them clear focus, Lord, to help lead the people that you've entrusted to them, not just through this time, but to rise up and to do what you put us here to do. And help us to take our eyes off of all the threatenings and off all the the theories that are out there and all the distractions that would come to pull us off course. And help us to focus with clarity. Help the pastors and the leaders to focus with clarity. Help them to speak with a clear voice as shepherds to the sheep. A clear voice that the sheep will hear that voice and they'll not be led off by another, but they'll follow the voice of the under-shepherd as they follow the voice of the true shepherd and bring unity to the body, not just in this body, but that the body of Christ together, especially in this area, Father. Father, tonight we pray for those that are in leadership and authority over our lives. We pray for the governors, Governor Romano, Governor Baker, and the other governors of, of New England, but especially those governors because they directly affect our lives. Father, we pray for those that are leadership in our Congress, our House and Senate. We pray for the Supreme Court, and we pray for our President and those that advise him. Father, we so often as Christians criticize our leaders, but that's not what you've called us to do. You've called us to pray for them. And I believe with all my heart we have no right to criticize a leader that we've not spent time praying for. And I believe, Father, we'll give an account when we do that. So help us. Help your people to grow up. Help your people to recognize and not be caught up in the, in the gossip of the world and the talk of the world that's out there through social media and so much. And help us to do what your word says to do because it's in the obedience to your word that we find protection. It's in the obedience to your word that we find your provision. There's so many distractions out there today, Father. Help your people, to help your leaders to sound forth a clear sound and that that sound is what your word says to do, not the opinions of men 
and not the opinions of women and certainly not the opinions of the world. And may your people hear the true sound of your voice spoken through your leaders. And so, Father, we thank you for these things tonight. And now, Father, we're going to take a few moments right now and I'm going to release those that are here and those that are online just to begin to pray whatever you put on their heart, whether it's for their family or whether it's for whatever you you put on their heart. And then we'll come together. So I'm going to ask you to do that. Just walk around, get on your knees, whatever you want to do. You're watching at home, watching wherever you are. Don't just turn it off and go get something to eat. Now, this is important for you. There are things God wants to do through you right now. You're vital to Him and to His plans right now. So we're going to take just a few minutes to do this, and then we'll come together, and then we'll close. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, as we come to bring this time together to a close, we do what Jesus told us to do. We now believe as an act of our will, no matter how we feel, no matter what things look like to us, because faith is an act of our will. We choose to believe that what we have prayed, you have heard. And we know, because your word says so, that if you've heard us, we have the requests we've made known to you. Now, we may not see it with our natural eyes just yet, but we know in our heart that we have these prayers answered and that you are at work in the spirit realm to bring them to pass. And so we thank you We thank you now before we see anything changed. We thank you now that you have heard us just as Jesus thanked you at the tomb of Lazarus before anything ever changed in his eyes. And so we rest in that tonight. And we commit to you, Father, and to one another that we will not speak anything out of our mouth that's contrary to what we've asked you tonight and what we've chosen to believe you're doing. Instead, we'll continue to thank you for it, especially situations in our family, especially situations that are close in our lives that we've come to you for. We'll continue to thank you that we have the request that we've made known to you. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Two things we want to do. First of all, if you're here, although I know all of you here, those of you that may be watching, I don't know who you are. And this is a little different because it's a prayer meeting. But we don't want to end any service here without giving you an opportunity if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life.